brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make your podcast. You can create, distribute, and monetize your content right from your phone. Anchor is completely free to use with no storage limits, no trial period, and no strings attached. Easily distribute your podcast to every major podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I even use Anchor for my podcast, so download the app today or visit anchor.fm. Happy New Year! It is a new year. It is a new decade. I am so excited. I'm refreshed and I'm ready to have all of the things that is 2020. Are you ready? This is a three-course convo where we, I serve you three of the hottest topics in the food world. I'm your host, Paula Mims. I know it's been a bit of a break, and thank you guys for waiting patiently over the holiday season, but I am back, and I am ready to dig into these new courses that are happening. But first, I would like to give a shout-out to the Philadelphia Choir for announcing their new food critic alongside Craig LeBan, Jamila Robinson. She is a new food critic. Um, she used to be a food critic in D.C. Now she's in Philadelphia. So I'm so excited for her. And guys, she's an African-American woman. You know, I support my POCs. You know, I was just recently talking about uh, the absence of POCs and food criticism. And I'm so excited and so happy for her that she's starting this new journey at the Philadelphia Inquirer. So shout out to Jamila Robinson. We're so excited for you to be here in such an exciting food city. So are you guys ready to dig in? We're going to dig into three courses that are basically introductions. It's all about introductions this time. So we're going to talk about that, and I can't wait to dig in. So let's get into it, guys. So our first course is about Impossible Foods. Now, you probably remember me talking about Impossible Foods in the last episode when I was talking about the end of a decade. And Impossible Foods was part of the trending foodie type of things that was happening in the 2010s. And the more importantly, it was the Impossible Burger, right? We were talking about the Impossible Burger being one of the big trends. Well, Impossible Foods, which is a company that, you know, has the Impossible Burger and makes it, is actually launching a new product. And this time it is called Impossible Pork. So instead of having this Impossible Beef or the Impossible Burger that's been the big seller for the company, they are releasing Impossible Pork. Now, um, I haven't had this Impossible Pork. I've only had Impossible Burger, I think, twice at restaurants. And just just similar to Impossible Beef, you can't really buy it in stores. It's mainly through restaurant outlets. So we're having Impossible Pork, and um, I'm very curious about this Impossible Pork. Um, you can definitely tell that Impossible Foods is doing is being very successful. They're doing really well, and now they're trying to launch different products. You know, sooner or later, they're probably going to have an Impossible Chicken at some point. But anyway, um, people have been trying the Impossible Pork. Um, I think Burger King is going to also be using this Impossible Pork. Burger King has all, already talked about launching their Impossible Croissant Witch. So if you're not familiar with Burger King, Burger King's Breakfast has a croissant, which was probably their biggest seller for breakfast because um, they're using an Impossible Sausage. So, you know, I'm very curious about this Impossible Pork because I'm not a huge pork eater, but I do eat it. And um, there's a certain texture to pork that's very specific to the meat, in my opinion. Um... And I'm very curious to see what the texture of this impossible pork. Is it going to be the texture of the pork? Is, is it not? 
Um, and I feel like that's important first before the taste. I think a lot of food scientists, a lot of food companies who make this alternative food products, they're really good at trying to get the taste correctly, but sometimes they don't get the texture correctly. And that's actually one of the things that I have issues with tofu. Um, for a lot of people who know me know I don't eat tofu often. Um, there is one exception. I don't eat tofu, but there's one exception. Um, there's a place in Philadelphia called um, Hardinia, and it is a Polynesian place. I'm sorry, Indonesian restaurant. And they have this curry tofu and egg. Oh my God, it is so effing good. And if you're in Philadelphia, please try it. It's literally a hole in the wall. You see grandma cooking. Um, the whole family is cooking in the back. It's a family-run business. It's so good. Please try it out. I get the curry tofu and egg, the braised beef, the vegetable fritters, the rice, the green. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm digressing. I'm sorry. I'm going into another subject. But we're going to go back to Impossible Pork. But I think texture is very important. And um, from the look of it, I'm looking at a lot of reviews online about the Impossible Pork at these food expos where people trying these new products. Um, in places like Las Vegas, and a lot of people are saying the texture is not correct, um, which is kind of a bummer because you need to get texture right of meat if you're really going to mimic or try to be meat. Um, but they said the taste was very accurate, so that's a good thing. At least they got the right. But I, like I said, food scientists are very good at emulating and copying the taste of things, but not so much texture. Um, so, I'm very curious about this Impossible Pork. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of Impossible Foods. Or I'm not a fan of imitation meats, per se. Um, I think if I want to eat a meatless sandwich, like a like a veggie burger, I'm going to go with a black bean, I think, more often. Or I'm just going to go with a beef burger. Um, you know, Impossible Foods is actually mainly for consumers who are trying to cut down their meat consumption. And not per se, vegetarians or vegans. It's actually for people who want to reduce their meat consumption and maybe on the fence of of doing that because they love the taste of meat so much. So that's why the Impossible Burger um, exists, because it's for that market. I used to think that Impossible Foods was for were for vegetarians and vegans and actually was wrong. They're actually not aiming towards them because if you're a vegetarian or vegan, most likely you don't want to eat anything that emulates or is copying a meat product because you're usually animal sympathizers. Not saying meat eaters aren't animal sympathizers, but to an extent, because they're actually still eating the animal itself. But, um, so that was something you should know, that Impossible Foods is not actually for vegetarians or vegans, they're for people who may be thinking about reducing their meat consumption due to the environment. So, um, Impossible Pork is being launched in places like Burger King. I think they're going to have a larger launch eventually, um, a lot of the things that people have used Impossible Pork for are like banh mi's, um, dan dan noodles, uh, pork katsu. So a lot of these things are being used for Asian-inspired dishes. So like the banh mi, Vietnamese, the pork katsu, which is, you know, a typically Japanese sandwich, and uh, the dan dan noodles, which is uh, Sichuan, uh, and Cantonese, Cantonese, sorry, Cantonese um, cuisines. So... I think it would be a good idea for uh, those type of dishes, like the Asian-inspired dishes. I don't really see it in other, you know, ways that it can be introduced into our food world. Um, it may work for dandy. I can see it probably working really well for dandy noodles because usually it's like grounded pork 
um, the tendendan noodles and not like a big cut of pork, like a pork katsu sandwich. So that might work well. It probably will work well with the pork banh mi as well. But um, I'm very curious about this Impossible Pork. I see that our Impossible and Alternative Meats aren't going anywhere. It was a trend in the 2010s, but I also think it will become something to look at also in the 2020s. Um, and it's something that may not be going away anytime soon. Like I said, a lot of these big meat companies are investing in these alternative meat products. So you're probably going to be seeing a lot more from the Possible Foods and from um, the Beyond Foods, Inc. as well. So be on the lookout for Impossible Pork. And I really am curious about what it tastes like and if it lives up to what people are saying it is. Girl, they coming for the wine. They coming for my wine. <sighs> Number 45's administration is proposing a 100% tariff on wine and other European foods, such as cheeses, olive oils, European spirits, yada yada. Now, there was a 25% tariff on European wines before that's already in place. Now, they want to do this 100% tariff on wine. That's going to devastate the wine industry. That's going to devastate the European food market, um, especially for U.S. importers. So, this is all based on this ongoing dispute between the U.S. and the, Europe, and the and European uh, markets um, regarding this aircraft manufacturing subsidies um and also this like really like i don't know what's going on this revenue tax that's happening in france is he has something against france that's happening right now with the revenue tax i don't know much about it but this ongoing dispute with the european the eu um is causing all of this riffraff that's happening i'm so sick of number 45 and his temper tantrums and when he can't get his way this is going to cause havoc on the rest of the country and people who are working this, you know, these markets. Um, just imagine what that's going to do to the market. Um, so basically, with this 100% um, tariff, that means that we're going to definitely absorb those prices and our tariffs off and in, in, increasing the price of the bottles. So for all those people who want like a, you know, a 15 bottle of wine, a $30 bottle of champagne, yada, yada. That $15 bottle is going to increase to 30 And that $30 um, bottle is going to increase to 60 15 to 30 and uh, 30 to 60 That's a hike. That's noticeable. Um, that 25% tariff, there may have been an increase in price, but it wasn't that noticeable. A hundred percent tariff? Oh, you're gonna notice that. You're gonna see that. Um, that's not a. That's not something small. Imagine going to the store, or you know, having a little celebration for yourself, and that thirty dollar bottle of champagne, or twenty dollar bottle of champagne, um, depending on your budget, is gonna be uh sixty. Oh no. Um, mm -mm. so for all of you wine um, drinkers out there, you better start savoring and start liking those California wines. So you better get those California uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, those uh, California uh, Pinot Grigio, those um, Chardonnays, yada, yada, because these European wines are going to be too expensive. And there's another effect to it. They may not be there at all. Just imagine if they're not there at all. These importers, if they have to pay for those tariffs, they probably don't want to import them at all. 
and that's huge um, if that happens because I'm pretty sure um, the revenue for um, these exports from the EU is about 3.8 billion euros. That's a lot of money. Um, and a hundred percent tariff, girl. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how these businesses are going to recover from this, um, especially for the importers who uh, concentrate on European wines. Um, a lot of these places who concentrate on European wines are small family-owned companies that have built their business over the years with um, this marketplace, this huge marketplace of wine. Um, many will go out of business. People are going to lose their jobs. Um, you can't sustain or be open with a hundred percent tariff. Are you kidding me? This is why 2020, I want him out of office. I want him out of office. I'm so sick of this. He came for the food stamps. He came for snap. He, now he's coming for the wine. When is this going to end? This man is, uh, a threat to our democracy. This man is a threat to everyone. This man is literally, I can say a lot worse things, but I'm not going to because I don't want to put that on this podcast. I'm going to leave this podcast PG. You don't know. No, this podcast is definitely PG-13. Um, I'm going to leave this podcast at PG-13. I did not want to cross over to the rated R. Um, so I'm going to keep those comments to myself because there's a lot harsher things I can say. But I digress. But this is going to be very uh, detrimental to the, you know, the wine industry. Uh, and it's not even just for wine snobs or people who drink wine. This is, this is a foodie thing. This is people who are interested in food. This is not only affecting wine. This is also affecting European cheeses, European olives, European food products. Um, this is something that you can't ignore. 100% tariff? 100% tariff. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Now, I have no problems with California wines, but come on. E either California or the South American wines, that's what we're going to be doing. Because there's no way in hell. Um, and I'm pretty sure wine consumption is going to decrease. Well, European wine consumption um, is going to decrease. Probably I can see a trend like that. But I don't know. Maybe people will be willing to spend wine. You know, those there are the elite who can afford whatever they can for these bottle of wines. But yeah, um, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. This is something that's not light. This is something that we sh shouldn't be ignored because it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. This ongoing dispute is just ruining our democracy. And I'm not going to tolerate it. So our third course is about the U.S. government or the FDA introducing the new food label. So beginning of January 1st, or the beginning of this year, larger companies such as Kraft or your Nestle are now required to throw out the new nutrition labels as determined by the FDA. So for those who do not know, the FDA a few years ago introduced a new possible food label. And this food label had a few changes. Um, and mainly the changes were due to inform consumers or, you know, the people about, you know, things they really care about, like calories and fat and sugar and so forth. So its goal is to accurately show the relationship between food and, you know, getting those chronic diseases that is associated with a poor diet. Um, so 
some of those changes include one of the big ones is calories um, and serving sizes. So, you know, a lot of things that people look for in a food label is calories. That's why calories usually listed first right under, you know, servings. So the calorie portion of the label will now appear much bigger, much larger, um, and it'll be very easy to find. Um, and also the calories have uh, coincided with the new serving sizes, which also made a big change. So serving sizes, um, for those, is the amount of serving you get in that particular product. Um, and... You know, serving size used to be, ba if you look at a bottle of soda or something, you'll see it will say like, oh, there's three servings per bottle because per, um, each serving is eight ounces. Well, that's also changing. The serving sizes have increased to better reflect the actual amount that people eat. Um, so instead of saying, oh, there are two servings in this bottle of soda, now it's going to say one bottle is one serving instead of one eight ounces is one serving. So those are the big changes. Also, changes due to specific nutrients such as fats and sugars are things that also are going to be changed. For, with fats, a lot of the time the fat um, part of the food label was very vague and it was um, just listed as total fat. Not much was explained about it. Um, with this new label, the actual total fat will be broken down into um, the different components of the fat. So that will include things such as um, saturated fat and trans fat. So, you know, we've all heard about, you know, trans fat being the, you know, it's not found in nature. It's really bad for you. They're, you know, remember when McDonald's got rid of their trans fat for their French fries? Like, remember those things because we know trans fat is not good. Trans fat is found in a lot of really processed products, especially baked goods. So you find trans fat in hydrogenated oils, um, such as like margarine, things like that, shortening. Uh, so a lot of baked goods have a lot of trans fat because, um, you know, trans fat, you know, especially shortening does wonders with baked goods and baking. And then the other one is sugar. So sugar um, would now be broken down into... Uh, natural sugars versus added sugars. Before, it wasn't broken down that way. Now people will actually get to see um, how much added sugar is in something. So added sugar is literally the, phys the physical nature of literally adding table sugar or any other sugars into a product. It's not the actual natural sugar that you find inside the food itself, such as, you know, fruit or vegetables with its natural carbohydrates. Added sugars is when you're literally adding sugars to a food product. So now that's going to be um, displayed on the new food label, and people would distinguish between those two sugars. Um, and this will also be shown in grams and, um, and as well as percent daily value, just like the food label was before. So those are kind of the big ones that are really um, changing with the food label. Um, and uh, those are pretty critical. So those are like some big things. And actually, the food label was supposed to come out before, but actually it was pushed off to 2020 by the number 45 administration. Um, it was put off. It was, you know, because he, when it comes to diet, you know, number 45, um, he doesn't give a shit about that. You know, this man literally had Burger King or whatever it was um, at his steak dinner. Anyway, I digress. 
But um, I also just want to talk about a little bit of history of the food label and why food labels are actually so important. So, you know, um, if you've ever paid attention in school, when you were in school, high school or whatever, you probably read a book called The Jungle. Now, I actually didn't read The Jungle in school. It wasn't required. I actually read The Jungle recreationally on my own. Um, and if you know... You, we all know that the jungle was huge and monumental in revolutionizing um, food reform and food regulations because of the very intense and detailed uh, account that was happening inside the meatpacking industry um, in Chicago. Now, um, the premise of the book was actually not intended to do that. It was actually intended for people to sympathize with immigrants and people in the working class not to necessarily uh, talk about the nature of the meatpacking industry and how disgusting it was. But nevertheless, um, you know, people don't care about other people unless it had something to do with them. So, you know, that book turned into, oh, they doing that to my meat? They're doing that's what's in my food? Oh, no. I'm not going to have this. And hence, you know, things like the FDA and, like, food regulations were born. Um because, you know, people don't care about other people. That's last on their story. So, uh, you know, a lot of things were happening with food before then. Um, a, a lot of adulteration of foods. People didn't know what was in their foods. People were getting sick from their foods. People were getting diseases, dying, getting all these foodborne illnesses. that They had no idea what they were. And they were just getting from these adulterated foods. Um, and that put an end to that. So food labels came in handy. Um... And, you know, it was, you know, it was in retaliation for, to all this adulteration that was happening. Um, and, you know, in 1862, President um, Lincoln, uh, you know, tried to create it, you know, the sense of what it was as the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture. Um, but it actually wasn't until like over 100 years later that the food label actually became shape and what we see today. So in the 1960s, um, before then, people weren't really buying a lot of processed foods. People were doing cooking at home. Um, a lot of stay-at-home moms um, were at home cooking a lot of things from scratch. And then the 1960s changed where people started buying more processed, ready-to-eat foods. And so people were, there was a demand to know what, what was in the foods. So um, by 1966, uh, the USDA mandated that all that all their products have a list of ingredients and it must be placed on all their products um, in this commerce. So that was a huge thing that was happening um, that they had to list all the ingredients because people were really concerned about what was actually in their food. And I don't blame them. Like with all this adulteration that was happening, how would you not care about what's in your damn food? Um, like we don't want any, you know, unauthorized, you know, additives in the food that, you know, people were using, DDT, I digress. Um, so they began to do that. And, you know, in 1973, the issue of the false health claims reached the Supreme Court, yada, yada, and more things were added. But it actually wasn't until the 1990s that the nutrition labeling um, was mandated. Um, and companies were required to make consistent claims and include detailed and standardized nutrition facts on th on the label. So it wasn't until actually the 1990s where we actually see what the food label is considered today um, with a more standardized outlook of the nutrition facts of that food product. 
So with this whole new 2020 introduction of the new food label, a lot of large companies will ha- be able, will have to put roll this out. Um, and I, you know, I remember learning about this when I was in college studying dietetics, and we were talking about the introduction of when they were just talking about changing the food label. Um, and I think that was in 2015, I believe. And um, we all ha- were asked what we thought about it. Um, we talked it over, we were talking about the benefits of the new food label, um, and, you know, to an extent, I do agree that the changes they're making is pretty important, and I kind of agree with them. You know, consumers, the first thing they look for is calories, so I can see them making calories huge. Um, and for the average Joe, they're not going to really know about much about nutrition, it's meant that way, but they're going to know their calories. That's something that people actually look for. So calories being big. I'm also glad they're changing the serving size because they know damn well people don't... A 20 liter, a 20 ounce bottle of soda um, is not two servings. People drink a 20 ounce bottle of soda in one sitting. Like, no. Like, why would you... No. And people don't realize that when it's like two servings in one bottle, they have to multiply everything by two. Um, so now I'm glad that they actually are being realistic and they are changing the serving sizes accordingly. Um, I'm also happy that they're changing the sugars because, you know, people, when they hear sugar, that's that's a very hot word. That's a hot button word. Sugar, sugar, sugar. We hear that all the time. Carbs, sugar, yada, yada. And people don't, some people don't actually know the difference between added sugars and natural sugars. Um, but they just hear sugar and, you know, that's a demonized word. I'm actually got, glad for that. I'm also glad for the fats because... Um, it's good to see people um, looking at the type of fat they eat. And fat is not a demon. Um, you need fat um, in our bodies because there are a lot of vitamins that require fat for them to be absorbed into the body, these fat-soluble vitamins. Um, so we need those. Uh, and, yeah, that's my take on it. I think it's really cool. Um, I think it was kind of upsetting that the number 45 administration kind of pushed it off. But um, I'm glad that there, it's more transparency is happening in the food industry. I'm all for food transparency in the food industry. And I actually should have a separate um, podcast episode just based off food transparency because we have a lack of food transparency in this country. Our food system is super vague um, and it's meant to be that way because why would they want the public to know what's actually going on behind the scenes in food production and all the corruption. Oh, don't even get me started on the corruption. But once again, I digress. So um, be on the lookout for the new food label that's coming out. You've probably seen them already. It's going to slowly come become a more um, standardized food label that you'll see on these products. Larger companies will probably have it. So all those name brand foods will most likely have them in the stores today. Um, and you will see that later on in the year as well. So be um, used to those new food labels. And maybe, I don't know, you can pick those up, look in the back, and be like, oh my God, this has 350 calories, never mind. Um, <laughs> for those who eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream late at night, you'll, oh Lord. Now they know damn well people can eat, I, people can eat a Ben and Jerry's pint of ice cream in one sitting or um, in two sittings, not four sittings, because actually Ben & Jerry's ice cream is four servings in that pint. Mm. You ever had a bad night in college where uh, you just failed your organic chemistry test? Like, not even like a 60%, you got like a 30%. 
and you over it and you want to change your major, yada, yada. You just done. You grab some friends. You watch a movie. Um, you grab that pint of um, fish food from Ben and Jerry's. And I'm telling you, um, if they had the food, food label, I'm, I don't know. I kind of would have thought twice about that fish food, Ben and Jerry's. But once again, I digress. But yeah, tell me how you guys think about the new food label because it's going to be here and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Thank you for listening to the Three Course Convo. Once again, I'm your host, Paul O'Mims. You can check this out on my website, mrpaulomims.com. That's M-R-P-A-U-L-O-M-I-M-S.com. You can also check this out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of those podcasting sites. You can just look them up. Thank you once again for listening. And next week, we're going to be talking about diet trends. So stay tuned for the episode next week. And peace out. Peace out.